Hi, welcome to Boema podcast. Boema is the Western Regional Component of the American College of Occupational and Environmental Medicine. Boema podcasts are a benefit for Boema members to stay current on topics of interest to occupational and environmental medicine physicians. My name is Aisha Chaudhry, and I'm today's moderator. Today, we are thrilled to join by Boema President Dr. Rupali Das. Dr. Das is a Senior Vice President and California Medical Director at the Zenith Insurance Company. She is also a Clinical Professor of Medicine at the UCSF Division of Occupational and Environmental Medicine. Dr. Das previously served as the Executive Medical Director of the California Division of Workers' Compensation and has held various leadership positions in environmental and occupational health at the California Department of Public Health and California EPA. She received her MD degree from University of Illinois, Chicago, completed her training in occupational and environmental medicine at UCSF, and her master's degree in public health from the University of Berkeley. She is both certified in internal medicine and preventive occupational medicine. She is a fellow of the American College of Occupational and Environmental Medicine. She has served as chair of WEMA's Education Committee and Legislative Committee and is a past walk chair. Today, we'll join again with Dr. Das and she will give us her vision, insight into her vision 2022 for WEMA. Welcome Dr. Das and thank you for joining us again. Thank you, Aisha. It's a pleasure to be here speaking with you today. So Dr. Das, in our previous conversation, in our previous podcast, you talk, you give us a glimpse into your past. I want to know where in time would you go and why? Well, thank you for that thought-provoking question, Aisha. Your question actually reminds me of a beautiful quote that a friend just sent me in a letter that I received the other day. It's a quote by the influential English artist, William Morris, who, who came up with these beautiful wallpaper designs that you may have seen. One of his quotes is, the past is not dead, it is living within us and will be alive in the future, which we are helping to make. So we really, I think, eloquently connects the past to the present to the future. And that's certainly something I feel, my past is living within me and influences my future. And answering your question, I wanted to explain that I'm very interested in past cultural influences that impact our current and our future lives. So if I had to pick one time that I would travel to, it would be to maybe the 13th or 14th century to what we now know as the Americas before the first Europeans arrived. And this is estimated to be about 500 years before Columbus sailed to North America when the Vikings came to what we now know as Canada. Uh, and the reason I wanted to go there is that I would like to see the way the land was before it was say changed or some might say destroyed to enable human civilization to expand. And that land was reportedly full of trees and covered with native grasses and flowers and uh, I would like to see the large expanses of land formed by nature. So we don't know exactly what it looked like, but that's what the historical accounts tell us. Uh, I wanna see the beautiful land that once was and the way that indigenous people lived. No doubt life was hard and it 
probably wasn't as idyllic as you know, we sometimes think today, but I want to see the natural beauty of this country and the way it was then and how indigenous people lived in great, greater harmony with nature than we do now. So that's what I would choose as my place to, and time to go. Interesting, really interesting, Dr. Bell. Um, just, just looking at your past achievements, you have worked a lot on um, pesticides, toxicology. Um, why do you think that um, uh, this, is, uh, this is so important and why did you work on it? And tell us more about your work on toxicology. Sure. Um, you know, our field in occupational medicine is so diverse and there's so many opportunities. And, uh, you know, when I entered the field, I, as I've told you before, I was interested in toxicology, but I think where I ended up was uh, partly a matter of my interest, but also partly uh, influenced by what opportunities were presented to me. Um, and so I, I've also told you that I was interested in public health. And so I entered my uh, job at the state first in, in public health, but not directly into pesticide toxicology. My first job at the state of California was actually working at California EPA, helping to set levels of concern for chemicals that were accidentally released into the air. And I got to work on uh, some accidental chemical releases that happened to occur around that time in California. I, I worked there for about five years and then transitioned from that position into the California Department of Public Health at the occupational health branch. So from environmental health into occupational health, which was my main interest. And I joined a team of researchers who were uh, working on some CDC grants, um, looking at tracking certain um, occupational conditions. And they had just uh, recently obtained a CDC NIOSH grant uh, to conduct surveillance or tracking of occupational pesticide illness in California. And so I got in at the very ground level of that grant. It was a multi-state program. So California was one of many other states or a few other states who received that grant. And it was called the SENSOR program. And SENSOR stands for Sentinel Event Notification System for Occupational Risks. And the, the uh, program sought to track pesticide illness events, detect new types of pesticide hazards, and recommend actions to prevent future illness. This is really the intent of uh, surveillance in public health. And so um, I led that sensor pesticides program for 10 years. And our focus was on tracking pesticide illness events, initially primarily in farm workers and in agricultural settings around the state. And it you know, really combined a lot of my interests. It combined the toxicology of pesticides with public health measures. And, and so because our focus was initially on farm workers, um, you know, we looked at pesticides that they were exposed to, but eventually our interest expanded to other pesticides, including disinfectants of primarily bleach, um, and which in numbers, the disinfectants account for the highest number of pesticide, pesticide illness events, but we didn't really focus on that because 
really toxicologically, they're not that interesting and they weren't that unusual. As part of my work tracking and investigating pesticide illness events among farm workers, I spent quite a bit of time traveling to the Central Valley of California particularly, but also other parts of California. And I was able to interview farm workers, pesticide applicators, the farmers or the owners of the land, as well as regulators. And the work itself involved collaborating with a multidisciplinary team of professionals, which included industrial hygienists who are part of the sensor program that I described and epidemiologists, toxicologists, as well as people in other agencies, other professionals in other agencies, including the um, Department of Pesticide Regulation, the County Agricultural Commissioners, and the local health department uh, public health officers. So it was not only toxicology, which is what originally drew me and made me interested in pesticide, but also this wide array of public health folks at the local level, the state level, and also at the federal level through our collaboration with CDC and NIOSH. Um, so it actually was so interesting on so many different levels. Um, one of the main tools we used to learn about pesticide illness was a tool you're familiar with, the Doctor's First Report, DFR. And this demonstrated the important role that primary treating physicians play in suspecting and diagnosing pesticide illness, because they were often the ones that would fill out these reports, or they're the ones who, was, who need to fill out these reports that we would then use to find out about pesticide illness events. And eventually they also play a big role in preventing illness. Uh, because our project was focused on prevention and we learned about these illness events through their reports. So I spend a lot of time traveling around the state, educating physicians, not only about pesticide illness, but also about reporting requirements. So I got to know uh, the physicians around the state in addition to the people I worked with. So as I said, I certainly um, learned a lot about pesticide toxicology and the different categories of pesticides. The, co the cholinesterase inhibiting pesticides, for example, the organophosphates and carbamates, other classes of pesticides, including the pyrethroids, which are commonly used even at home, um, disinfectants like bleach, fumigants, such as methyl bromide, which at the time was used a lot in the strawberry fields, but also used to fumigate homes. That's changed now to um, uh, other fumigants like sulfurofluoride. Methyl bromide was, was banned from use because of its um, impacts on the environment. Um, and also other classes of pesticides like rodenticides and glyphosate, which you might know as Roundup, which has gotten a lot of um, attention lately. And, and so many other classes. So it was really quite interesting from a toxicology perspective. And, and also, as I said, I learned about collaboration, about participatory research. So my work in tracking pesticide illness led to other projects um, that allowed me to do more work in public health. So towards the end of my time with this project, my focus shifted from tracking pesticide illness to encouraging safer agricultural techniques. And that transitioned to my personal life and it really influenced me personally. And I started choosing more organic products for my family, 
in not only food, but other organic products, because although my work revolved around workers and tracking illness in workers, I feel that consumers really sometimes drive what happens in the work process. By making product choices, we drive industry to change their work practices. And uh, eventually our work transitioned to supporting organic farmers and producers. And, and personally, I started um, organic gardening and organic vegetable growing, which I continue to this day. So I, I feel that something that's started as a personal interest in toxicology really kind of circled back in so many different ways to influence, I hope influence the the use of pesticides in California and also influenced me and in the way I live my personal life. Very enlightening, Dr. Das. Um, so from public health department to corporate world, what sparked that journey? Yeah, thank you. That's, that's very interesting. And, you know, I think uh, one of the things that allowed that to happen is our field of occupational environmental medicine. We uh, have, have such a diverse field, not only in terms of topics, as I mentioned before, but also in what we can do. We can work it in public health. We can work in clinical practice like the majority of physicians. We can work in corporate settings um, at, at actual manufacturing companies and at insurance companies. And so we have this option to do so many different things and um, some of us choose to remain in one field our entire lives, particularly I think for people who are um, in academics, they tend to remain academicians their entire lives. And, and others of us have personalities that um, gear us to exploration. And I think I'm one of those people who likes to try different things. I like to be a jack of all trades and to have the experience of working in a lot of uh, different fields. Um, and so I spent over 20 years working in government. Most of that time was in public health in the California Department of Public Health and in the California EPA, which is also a public health field in the environment. Um, and I uh, was very lucky to have had the opportunity to serve the people of California in that in those positions. Um, I moved from the California Department of Public Health to the Department of Industrial Relations because an opportunity came up for a leadership position. I was, uh, I was appointed as the executive medical director at the Division of Workers' Compensation. And uh, that was entirely within, I think, the field of my training, occupational medicine. And in that role, I interacted with the workers' compensation system and therefore with insurance companies uh, and with regulators. And that exposed me to uh, the people who worked in insurance companies and um, an opportunity came up for me to work at an insurance company that I thought really excelled in, in the way they worked with um, regulators and in treating injured workers as well as physicians. And so I was curious to see what it was like to work in a corporate setting. Um, 
uh, and to, I guess, to be on the risk management side as opposed to the risk assessment side, which in, in public health terms, when you work in a public health setting, you're primarily assessing risk, but you um, have less power, I think, to manage risk. And so I thought working in a corporate setting would not only be interesting um, from you know exploratory side, but also to help me to manage risk. And, and so when that opportunity came up, I, I went for it. Um, you know, it was actually nerve wracking to go from working in government to something I was familiar with my, pretty much my entire career to a corporate setting. It took a lot of thought, uh, but, but in the end, I'm, I'm glad I did it because it, I did try something new and, and I've been in this position for six years. And, and so again, I would say um, being an occupational health physician allows us to try a lot of different things. And I would encourage people to try opportunities and nothing is irreversible. If a, a move is something that doesn't work out, um, life offers us lots of opportunities to go back to where we were. And, and so I thank you for that question. And uh, as far as what sparked my journey, which from public health to the corporate setting. Awesome. Now, now we are coming to a rapid fire round. Are you ready, Dr. Das? I'm ready. Fire <laughs> okay. What's one thing you spend way too much and you don't regret? Um, I, I spend a lot of time at work um, editing written documents. I, I love writing. But I'm very detail-oriented in everything I do. And, and so when I review written documents, I spend a lot of time editing and I love doing it. Um, I think I'm, in my training, I uh, worked with a lot of people who are very uh, picky writers and it taught me to be a good writer. And, and so I'm very uh, particular about the written word and what goes out with my name on it. And I, in the end, I don't regret spending time editing documents. At home, I spend a lot of time um, uh, gardening. I spend a lot of time caring for my orchids, uh, vegetable gardening, and then reaping the, the fruits of my labor and cooking. And I don't regret doing that either. Good. Um, what is your most productive part of the day? And what is your least productive part of the day? I am most focused and productive in the morning, and I'm definitely least productive after lunch in the postprandial slump, and and sometimes right before I go to sleep because I'm trying to get so much done. What's your favorite music type? I love all kinds of music from classical, western to classical, instrumental, Indian to hip hop, but. I particularly love uh, Brazilian music and Afro-Cuban jazz. What's your favorite sport to play? Um, so yeah, this is, I'm probably gonna give you a response that's a little atypical. I, I love dance, uh, dance of any kind from any culture. And I love to dance. That's interesting, maybe we can do some kind of a dance at the walk too. <laughs> that would be wonderful. Yeah, and their favorite sport to watch? Similarly, I love dance performances. Uh, maybe dance uh, is a, atypical as a sport because I, I don't think of it as competitive the way I like to watch it. 
but I really do enjoy dance performance. But uh, in terms of uh, uh, traditional sports, I, I love to watch ice skating or diving, uh, possibly because they are like dance. Tell us about your work. How do you maintain your work-life balance, Dr. Das? Yeah, thank you for asking that question, Aisha. I, I think it's important to have a priority. Uh, balance is important, but priority is also important. And my priority is my family, but I'm also very passionate about my profession as well. So I am fortunate to have a family that understands the importance of having a career and supports me. And I would say I'm also very fortunate in um, being employed at a place that understands the value of having a work-life balance. Uh, I think balance <clears throat> depends on where you are in life. Where my, when my kids were young, my life revolved around them, around their schedule, and my routine was dictated by them. And however, a few years back, um, I think when my kids were still young, a back injury forced me to learn the value of self-care, physical activity, and mental harmony, and actually started um, the process of me making a lot of physical, physical adjustments at work as well as at home. And so I had to constantly be balancing the, my needs with my work, even at work, because I had to use all this ergonomic equipment in order to work. Now my balance is all about incorporating um, all of the, what I've learned in my life uh, in some level every day at work and at home. And so I found that it's really important to have a routine. Uh, and so a routine that incorporates the priorities in life. For me, it's about meditation, physical activity, family, and work doing what I enjoy. Uh, and having a routine helps me maintain some balance. Now that routine might vary day to days to some extent, but I think a routine is really critical. And, and so for me, it's important to have a morning routine and a bedtime routine. And, and today, um, my routine consists of uh, in the morning, I meditate for about a half hour almost every morning. I've been doing that for a half hour almost for the last year. Um, before that, my meditation was a lot shorter, but I'm very proud that I can do it for a half hour every morning. And then I do either do yoga or I walk or I do an exercise class. I can't do all three because I'm also working, but if I wasn't working, I would do all three every day. And then I start my work day. I, I try to go to bed early enough so that I can wake up um, early enough to start my morning routine. Uh, I still find that there are some days when there are not enough hours to do everything, but I think I do the best I can. And that's what I would say to everybody, just do the best you can. Thank you, Dr. Das. It was a really, very interesting conversation, and we will continue with you in our next session of our podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much, Aisha. I really appreciate the time you spent. It was a joy to speak with you.